Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the With the First Pick podcast brought to you by the Fansided Podcast Network. I am your host and the site expert over at withthefirstpick.com, Brian Perez. And today, draft fans, I am joined by a very, very special guest whose work you are, I'm certain, very familiar with. The one and only Luke Easterling from the Draft Wire. You can follow him over at Twitter at Luke Easterling. Check out all of his NFL draft work at thedraftwire.com, which is part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Luke, how you doing tonight, my friend? I'm doing great, man. I'm uh, we're in the middle of uh, the college basketball tournament, so I'm just uh, I'm pretending that I've been paying attention all along. Yeah, you know what? This is this is an interesting time of year because for us draft fans, this is. The crunch time, right? We're we're about a month, a little less than a month away from that number one pick finally being announced. But it's it's a distraction of the March Madness, and you got opening day baseball and opening week baseball, and some of the attention finally goes away from the NFL draft, away from free agency, and it's a nice little mental break, I guess you could say, for for us football guys who, you know, whether it's conversation on Twitter or just the daily responsibilities of of putting out posts and doing as much work as we can. You can almost take a little mental break here and enjoy other sports. But, man, we have we have turned the corner. We're in the final lap, Luke, that last month before draft season, and it couldn't be any more dramatic, right? I mean, what a great time it is to be a draft fan, to write about the draft, to cover the draft, when at the number one pick overall, we have an Arizona Cardinals team who last year this time spent the number 10 pick overall on a quarterback that – most draft analysts and experts would have said is a franchise quarterback in Josh Rosen. And here we are literally less than 12 months later, and it sounds like the ship has already sailed on the Josh Rosen era and that Kyler Murray is going to be the guy at the number one pick. So off the top of your head, Luke, what, what is your gut reaction to this? What is what is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear or you, you heard today the, I don't want to say confirmation because we do still have a little less than four weeks before the draft and they could take Murray, they could take someone else, or they could still trade out of the pick. But assuming they take Murray, what is the the first thing that comes to mind when you think about that scenario? Well, I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind back when, you know, this kind of all sprouted legs, and I'm not talking about the uh, the video coming out, you know, of, of Kingsbury when he was still at Texas Tech talking about Murray and how he would take him at number one. And obviously nobody knows anything uh, at that point. It was just a fun a fun headline to run with. And, uh, you know, that was, that was that, but, you know, now as it's kind of decided to turn into some actual, you know, there might actually be some smoke and some fire to it. Um, you know, my first reaction is that there's, there's just no way, right. Not only, you know, as you said, did they take Josh Rosen at number 10 last year, they traded up to take him, you know, they moved up for a guy that gave up draft capital to go up and make this guy the franchise quarterback, you know, you give him a, a roster that just does not, you know, it's not built to win right away. It's not, you know, 2018 was not going to go well for the Arizona Cardinals, no matter what Josh Rosen did, in my opinion. Um, you know, and you give him, you know, a head coach in Steve Wilkes that, you know, whatever your opinion, whether he should have gotten more than one year or not, you know, definitely 
didn't seem to um, do much to convince uh, the powers that be in Arizona that that he can be the guy uh, to lead that team. So, you know, it, I just it's so confusing to me the fact that that with all those factors considered, um, you would think that Josh Rosen has already told the Cardinals everything they need to know about whether or not he can be their franchise quarterback. And it's just so interesting to me that a team could trade up into the top 10, take a quarterback, and then the following year fire a coach that only got one season with a rookie quarterback to prove himself uh, and completely change gears and go uh, with a different quarterback that's just completely the opposite in terms of skill set and also in terms of experience as just a one-year starter. Uh, It's just, it's so bizarre. And then, you know, with that being my first reaction, my, my second reaction would be, you know, that I love it because every time anybody tells me it tells me anything on Twitter about the draft that this will never happen and that guy will never go there and he'll never fall to that pick and he'll never go, you know, that high. Never say never, man. We've seen way too many, way too much crazy stuff. We've been doing this a long time and, and it's just a dangerous thing to say that something is too crazy to happen on draft weekend. And, you know, I think you used a really good word to describe the set of facts that we're watching unfold here, which is bizarre, right? It's strange that a team would make such a drastic turnaround in terms of, right, turnaround's probably not the, the, the correct word, but like an about face here in terms of what they decided last year was going to be the strategy and plan at quarterback and how essentially this year they're, they're abandoning that and going in a completely different direction. But what I think about is just because it's bizarre doesn't mean it's incorrect. Doesn't mean it's wrong. You know, you you referenced the coaching staff last year, and the coaching staff was one that, generally speaking, when a GM hires his coach, his handpicked coach, you're going to give that guy and his staff at least two, maybe three, or even four seasons to implement his program, to bring in the players that fit his system, to get some draft picks, some draft classes that are handpicked by that coach, at least in concert with the general manager. It was one and done with that coaching staff. They bring in the sexy hire with Kingsbury, the offensive-minded guru, the guy that's in vogue right now in the NFL. We, you go from McVay to Matt Nagy to now it's a copycat league, so you're going to look for that next offensive-minded coach. They weren't – I mean, they were criticized for the decision to fire Wilkes after one season, probably even more criticized for going with a guy like Cliff Kingsbury who has really no established track record even in college football, let alone in the NFL. But is it wrong? Is it wrong to take a chance to roll the dice? And if you have a guy like Kyler Murray graded higher on your board than you had Josh Rosen graded last year, and if you think a guy like Kyler Murray can perform at a higher level than Josh Rosen would perform with Cliff Kingsbury's system in place, is it wrong to do this? You know, they're going to get something for Josh Rosen. They're going to trade him. Most likely, obviously, they'll trade him. They should get a second round pick back for him at the very least. And I get it. You know, some of the draft analysts that are our colleagues right now, Luke, they'll bang the table and call it an absolute disgrace that you essentially have a 10th pick overall asset in Josh Rosen that you give up for a second, maybe even a third round pick. But like, who cares? I mean, when you really think about it, who cares? Are you getting a quarterback who is going to be a franchise changing talent? Is that Kyler Murray? If your front office and your coaching staff says yes, who cares? At the end of the day, two or three years from now, 
Nobody's going to question the decision if it works. If it fails, it would be questioned regardless. If Josh Rosen failed, it would be questioned. If any quarterback selection fails, it gets questioned. But if this is the guy that they're circling as the face of the franchise, their quote-unquote Baker Mayfield, the guy that's going to change the fortune of this team, don't you think that you still do it, even if it's bizarre, even if it's strange, even if it goes against the grain, even if it makes the GM and that entire organization look foolish. If Murray's the guy, take him. Yeah, I mean, it, here's the thing. There's a couple things, you know, coming going off what you said. Number one is, of course, Cliff Kingsbury doesn't care. He wasn't here last year. Why should he care? You know, like it, it, the the interesting part is is Steve Kime, the general manager. I, I think if I were Michael Bidwell, the team president, that's where I my my confidence would be kind of on the fence is, you know, allowing the same person who told me last year that Steve Wilkes was the head coach for the job and that Josh Rosen was the franchise quarterback, you know, to the point where we're going to trade up and take him in the top 10. Why am I allowing that guy to tell me now that both of those decisions were terrible and we need to go in a completely different direction? So that's interesting to me that Steve Kime is still going to be the one that is able to make these decisions. Obviously, he did that with the head coach uh, in Cliff Kingsbury. And he's, you know, if they end up taking Murray, obviously, he will have a heavy hand in that decision as well. So that's the part that's interesting to me, because if you're Cliff Kingsbury, you're coming into this and you don't care what they spent on a guy last year while you were at Texas Tech. You didn't spend those resources. You want to win now. You want you want what's best for your team now. And, you know, you and I talk about this a lot in terms of the draft process as a whole on a macro level. What, you know, fans and even, you know, media analysts and, and everybody who does what we do as much as we like to think we know what's happening with players and teams and all these different things, if if you look at the Cardinals, you look at a team who knew or at least decided after a year, you know what, Steve Wilkes isn't the guy. He's not cutting it. We're not going to waste any more time. We know that. We feel confident in that. We're going to go in a different direction. Swing and a miss. It happens and you move on. Why wouldn't that team do the same thing at quarterback? And And, and why do we think we have a better idea of what they should do than the team who had Josh Rosen for a year, watched him go about his business, not just on the field on Sundays, but but as a, a team leader, as, as a player in and out of the, the facility, uh, in practice, and those, they know better than any of us talking about this, whether or not he's the guy and worth continuing to invest in or not. And if they make the decision that he's not, I'm not going to be too i'm not going to be too confident in in standing here and blasting them for that when i don't know as much as they did about what kind of player they expected josh rosen to be when they drafted him and how different they found out uh he he was if that ends up being the case if that makes sense it does make sense and here's another point right and it goes somewhat along the lines of what you just talked about which is you know none of us on the outside really have an accurate assessment whatsoever as to what's going on inside the the Cardinals facility and whether that's from a talent evaluation standpoint. I mean, everybody in, in draft media, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of draft media is comprised of individuals who obviously think they know as much or more than the people that are actually paid to do it, um, you know, f- from, you know, 12 months a year, year round, away from their family for 250 days a year. You know, these guys are not bad at what they do. They they have, uh, you know, 
the experience not only playing professional football, coaching in football, and just learning the game. I mean, you look at a guy like Elliot Wolf, who is the assistant general manager of the Cleveland Browns. The guy doesn't have a player's resume, but he grew up at the right hip of his father, Ron Wolf, and has literally been scouting football like inside an organization since he was like 14 years old. So the range of experience and the history and background of some of these guys that are making these decisions, like they're not dumb guys. And it's just because they're not on Twitter and they're not writing for, you know, a site like with the first pick.com doesn't mean that like they don't know what they're doing. So if a facility, an organization, a coaching staff, a pro scouting department makes a decision on Josh Rosen and in concert with the college scouts and, and the general manager decides that a guy like Kyler Murray is the better route to go for the franchise, like who are we to second guess that? I mean, we can we can make fun of it, poke fun, bust their chops. But at the end of the day, if they're making an assessment that is ultimately Kyler Murray over Josh Rosen, all right, let's see how it plays out. But here's the other part of this, like. How do we all know we're all not getting played hardcore by the Arizona Cardinals right now? If you remember back in February, you know, it was, nope, Josh Rosen's the guy. Kyler Murray's not going to be picked. There's no chance that this happens. That, that was like literally maybe 40 days ago. That was the, uh, the rumor that this, this no chance they're going to trade the pick. Josh Rosen's the guy. All of a sudden today, the, the, the draft analysts who were, kind of flexing on the prediction of Kyler Murray being the number one pick all along. Now they're, they're claiming their territory saying they were right because now look, the Arizona Cardinals have put out the message that Kyler Murray is going to be the guy and Josh Rosen's on the trade block. Like what's the truth? We're not going to know the truth until Roger Goodell announces the pick in April in term when the Arizona Cardinals are on the clock, if they're even on the clock for all we know, this is one massive smokescreen for the Cardinals to to try to entice a team that might be hoping Kyler Murray falls to them, like let's say the Oakland Raiders, for example. Maybe they're looking at the Raiders saying at number four, they might be willing to package the 27 and the four to move up to one if they really like Kyler Murray. Maybe maybe this is a last-ditch effort by that organization to just throw a little smoke into the process. And the media is biting it, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, haven't we already learned our lesson? You know, you look at the Chicago Bears a couple years ago when they drafted Mitchell Trubisky. And all along before that draft process, all Ryan Pace said at the Senior Bowl when he was interviewed, pre-draft interviews, every step of the way when they were talking about the quarterbacks in this draft, what do you value in a quarterback, Ryan Pace? What is your number one scouting, you know, uh, element when you're looking at quarterbacks? And it was either the first thing he mentioned or it was pretty high in the list was experience at the position. Who did Ryan Pace trade up for with the number to get the number two pick? They trade up to the number two pick to draft. Mitchell Trubisky, the least experienced quarterback in the draft class. Pace was throwing everybody off his trail, probably wanted everybody in the draft industry that year to think that the Bears were targeting, targeting Deshaun Watson, and I'll raise my hand as a guy that fell for it hardcore you don't know what the Cardinals are doing at this point. I mean, it, Kyler Murray might very well be the guy. And honestly, I'd love to see it happen because I think Kyler Murray is a Michael Vick type of player. I don't think Kyler Murray is going to be a miss. I think he's going to have a very high level of success in the NFL uh, because of how dynamic of, a, of an athlete he is. And, and in today's game, I mean, if you have a quarterback that can literally be a thousand yard rusher and a 4,000 yard passer, forget it, man. You're winning eight games with that guy by your by himself. And that's the kind of player he can be. But Murray's not the only quarterback in this class, Luke. 
The second guy that generally is uh, mentioned when the quarterback rankings are discussed, again, on draft Twitter or on a website like yours, draftwire.com or over at withthefirstpick.com, is Dwayne Haskins from Ohio State. What, what are your thoughts about him? What do you think his long-term upside is in the NFL? Do you think he's a guy that can come in right away 2019 and be effective? Or is he the kind of guy that needs to sit behind an established veteran, grow into a starting job, and ultimately – do you have a pro comp, not necessarily his style from a skill set standpoint, but what kind of starter he can be in terms of his impact in the NFL? Yeah, it's really interesting comparing the two because uh, I really don't think there's much splitting them in terms of their overall grade. Right now, they're number five and number six overall uh, on my board, and, and it really just comes down to to playing style and skill set. You know what what are you willing to do if you're an NFL team? to build around each of these guys and what do you already have in place that will aid you in that process? Because if, you know, every off season, you know, particularly when there's coaching changes, so much of what happens in, in the rebuild is, is a personnel overhaul. You're, you're overhauling your personnel to fit the schemes that are now going to be played. And, and when you're talking about taking a franchise quarterback, you're looking at your roster offensively and saying, you know, our, our coaching staff and what they're going to implement skill-wise and also the, the players and the personnel we already have, what does it lend itself to? Are we a team that can't protect the passer very well and would need someone to that can run around and make plays with his legs if we can't protect him, a la Russell Wilson? Uh, and then maybe we lean more towards... Uh, towards Kyler Murray because we know that he can bail us out while we continue to try to build that offensive line around him. If I already have a strong offensive line in place and I'm, you know, have a scheme that is predicated more on pocket passing and a guy who can sit back in the pocket, not saying Kyler Murray can't because I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions about his evaluation is that because he's an undersized quarterback uh, and because he's so athletic, and this happens with a lot of these dual threat quarterbacks, that he's not capable of making plays from the pocket and his film just flies in the face of that, that misconception. There's just no evidence on film that he's not a successful pocket passer because he is. Um, but going back to Haskins, if you are confident in, in your ability to present a clean pocket, most of the time for your quarterback and, and your scheme lends itself more to a guy who's able to sit back and in that pocket and pick, pick defenses apart. I think Dwayne Haskins is your guy. I think he's extremely accurate. He's got a strong enough arm. He may not have drew locks arm, uh, in terms of pure arm strength, but he can definitely make every throw. Uh, and again, you know, production isn't everything, but when you break Drew Brees' uh, records in, in the Big Ten, uh, th that says something to me. So again, a one-year starter, a guy that, you know, took his opportunity and made the most of it, 50 touchdown passes, eight uh, interceptions. Really, he checks every box for me, except for the athleticism, the ability to make plays outside the pocket. But again, if, if you have an offense, both personnel and scheme-wise, that can allow for that, and, and that's the kind of quarterback you want, I think Haskins would be the preference. And, and I agree with you, you know, almost verbatim there, word for word, everything you said about Haskins. I, I, I think, you know, my concern with Haskins is as good of a thrower as he is, he's, and, and I went back and watched more of his tape because, you know, I watched him a little bit earlier in the process and like anything else after you watch him, you know, dozens and dozens more players after, you know, a guy that's talked about so much like Haskins, you want to kind of refresh your recollection for lack of a better term. And, you know, he does have some impressive arm talent, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it. The guy, when he is 
when he has time in the pocket and he can plant and throw, he he's got an A plus arm. But is it that elite arm like you talked about? It's not the Drew Lock in terms of the ball coming out of his hand at 100 miles an hour. It's not like a Matt Stafford on the next level. You know, I, I I struggle to give a comp in terms of what kind of arm talent he is for as a as a as a um, a current starter right now in the league. And my concern for him is exactly what you talked about. I mean, today's game with the edge rushers, with the with the interior pass rush that's coming from defensive linemen like Aaron Donald and the next wave of those guys who are coming in Quinn and Williams and Ed Oliver and some of these other prospects that are that are just these dynamic, quick twitch, two hundred and ninety pound guys, two hundred and ninety plus pounders, that he's gonna have pressure coming from every angle up in his face around the edge. And I just don't see a guy who's going to be able to do enough with his legs to buy himself the time needed to take advantage of that arm. So if you're talking about a player who maybe 60% of the time, 50% of the time is going to have that perfectly clean pocket to throw from, you're going to have a really good quarterback about half the time. But is that a player you invest a high first round pick in? where you need everything to be perfect for him to really take full advantage of his traits. Because when you looked at a lot of those plays at Ohio State, you know, a lot of them were these quick reads, wide receiver screens, quick passes. They got rid of the ball really quickly. And he didn't have a lot of those chaotic situations where he had to make something happen from a dirty pocket. He didn't really have that kind of challenge week in and week out. And in the NFL, if you're that stationary pocket passer – I mean, unless you're a Peyton Manning savant at the position, you know, you look at a guy like Eli Manning, who, yes, he's longer in the tooth now and he really can't move around. But I don't know how much more mobile Dwayne Haskins in 2019 will be than, let's say, Eli Manning in 2019. And Eli Manning, I mean, it was sad to watch. I mean, the the guy couldn't get out of his own way when the offensive line, the pass protection broke down. And I just feel like Dwayne Haskins is headed for – trouble early in his career, especially if it's a system, if he goes into a system that's not going to modify the passing attack to really play to his weaknesses more than his strengths. Because when you look at a guy like Haskins, you know he's going to make every throw. He can make every throw. You don't have to necessarily design a system that's going to, you know, elevate what he already does well. Instead, he's the kind of guy that you actually have to protect and you have to figure out a way to make sure that his flaws or it's not really a flaw. I mean, there's lack of athleticism that has to be protected. And I don't know if in today's NFL game, you can rely on a quarterback and invest the first round pick in a quarterback where you have to actually cover up what he does poorly. You know, look at a guy like Andrew Luck, right? Andrew Luck is a top tier athlete. The guy, you, you don't have to do anything to protect the guy. You know, a guy like Cam Newton, he might not be the best thrower, but you don't have to protect that guy. I mean, when I say that, I don't want the listeners to get confused. Of course, every quarterback needs pass protection. But, I mean, you don't have to cover up warts for Cam Newton. He can make things happen on his own. Look at Baker Mayfield last year, the most recent example of a rookie that's come in and has a lot of success. He can make things happen. A Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Rodgers, the list goes on and on for the top-tier quarterbacks that can do enough to where offensive coordinators don't have to fear the limitations. And I feel like that could be a situation with Haskins where – Offensive coordinators actually have to game plan around protecting them and 
minimizing their exposure in situations where they're not going to be able to recover. Like, you know, what happens if we're playing the Rams and Aaron Donald is coming, you know, full speed ahead on 70% of the pass attempts, Aaron Donald is going to end up hitting Dwayne Haskins. I mean, how do you really develop a game plan that's going to have much success when you have a quarterback that's so limited athletically? But um, the opposite is a guy like Drew Luck. Uh, Drew Locke. Luck. Andrew <laughs> Luck had, was on the brain. Drew Locke. I mean, he's a guy who's got the arm talent, has got the athletic ability, but his tape is a little inconsistent, right, Luke? What do you, what do you think? Yeah, about it's, you know, it, it, I struggle with, with pro comps. I'm just not that guy. That's not my, my thing, but... Um, he is a guy that kind of reminds me of Matt Stafford, um, a guy with just a cannon arm who, if you put him in a system that's going to air the ball out more often than not, it's going to be successful and you're going to end up with a lot of highlight real plays. You're going to end up with some big numbers, um, but you're going to end up with a lot of inconsistency. And that's really what I saw from him at Missouri. Uh, again, playing in the sec against some really top tier defenses without, a supporting cast that's at that level is kind of tough to evaluate a quarterback uh, in a, in a, in a holistic way, but you know, it, it, there's, it's his, his film is just all over the place. Like you said, he'll make plays um, that make him look like the number one pick overall. And he'll make other plays where you're like, how in the world are we talking about a first round pick here? What, what is happening here? So I, I just think that he, he particularly uh, is a quarterback that I think needs to go to a team that does have a veteran, that, that will allow him to acclimate to the speed of the NFL game and, and hopefully smooth out those rough edges in his game before he's relied on as a franchise quarterback. Because like you said, the tools are there. The arm strength alone is going to, is going to get him drafted in the first round, I think, because that's just the way NFL teams uh, do things most of the time. Um, but uh, you know, he won't go number one overall like Matthew Stafford did, but I definitely think he could end up having that kind of career in the right situation. You think he's worth a top 10 pick? I mean, you think he's a guy that if Denver drafted him at number 10 to sit behind a guy like Joe Flacco, you think that's that his his film warrants that? Not for me. Uh, he got a second round grade for me, so he's just outside. Um, I ended up with 23, I think, first round grades in this class. So he's, <coughs> excuse me, he's just outside that. Um, if I were a team like maybe Cincinnati in the second round, Washington, Miami, that type of deal. If he's still on the board in that range, I can understand that. I don't think he will be. Again, and we're getting into, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about Daniel Jones from Duke as well. Those two are, are both guys that they just will be taken so much earlier than I would feel comfortable taking them if I was running a team. You see, we will touch on Jones in a second, but my issue with Locke is something that to me is just a fatal flaw when you're assessing quarterbacks and trying to project them to the next level. And that's just the inconsistent accuracy. The fact that there are moments where, you know, jaw-dropping throws, no doubt about it, the guy has a legit arm talent. But if you can't consistently hit your target, I, I would rather see a guy with average arm strength and elite accuracy a la Drew Brees. And I would take that guy 10 out of 10 times over a player who can spin it with the best of them. But you really don't know every every throw you're kind of holding your breath, hoping it gets within a catchable area. Well, you you weren't a Kyle Bowler fan, Brian? You got with Drew Locke. 
Yeah, right. Exa- exactly. Right. And, and Luke, you are a former quarterback yourself. I mean, tell the listeners, is accuracy something that can honestly be developed at some point? You know, I mean, I know maybe a high school kid, early college career, you work with quarterback coaches, you know, these different facilities that have, you know, year round throwing clinics and what have you to try to just develop that finer, the finer traits and, and skill sets for, you know, being a good thrower. But at this point, I mean, you're talking about a guy that could be a top 10 draft pick in the NFL, and he's going to be, you know, taking that next step into an NFL training camp and potentially be viewed as a quarterback of the future for a, you know, a, a, an NFL franchise. Is there going to be the ability for a guy like that to suddenly develop accuracy you know, on the it, job? I, I treat that like I treat a lot of the draft process, which is that part of the reason it's so entertaining, in my opinion, is that there are just so many unknowable variables in every single player, every single pick that that dictate whether or not there's success or failure. And I think this is one of those situations where if the reason we don't think a quarterback is accurate on tape is their own shortcomings and their own inability to put the ball where it needs to be, then I don't think that's something that improves from, you know, playing at the college level to moving into the pros. If anything, it's going to get worse because obviously you're talking about world-class athletes at the top of their game, the best players in the world, and the windows are just so much tighter, you know, open in the big 10, even let alone, you know, cause Josh Allen comes to mind from Wyoming last year in the mountain West is not, you're never going to get guys that open in the NFL. It's just not the way it works. Um, so everybody's covered. Um, so if you're not accurate, you're not able to throw catchable balls in, in the places they need to be at the college level. I, I don't see you getting better at doing that against, better defenses with less space to work with, you know, but on the other side of that, sometimes a lack of accuracy uh, is, it's not a lack of accuracy. Sometimes we can be too quick to look at completion percentage and talk about a guy not being accurate without taking into account all the variables that lead to that, you know, his supporting cast, the drop rates of his wide receivers, the protection, you know, how many, how many times has he hit? Is he, you know, there's so many different things that can impact that. So, you know, that's why it's important to really look at the tape, look at the plays that happen and see why incomplete passes are happening, why interceptions are happening and how much of it truly is the fault of a quarterback who can't hit his spot and how much of it, you know, is, is to blame elsewhere. So uh, it is not, you know, genuine, you know, inaccuracy as a quarterback, not being able to throw the ball where you need to. I just don't think that's something that can get better when you're moving up a level and facing much better competition. Yeah, I, I, I again, I, I completely agree. And, and, and Drew, uh, Drew Locke reminds me a little bit of a former Washington Husky prospect with a very similar last name and Jake Locker. Uh, I, I just feel that we could be witnessing another type of, you know, high upside quarterback that is uh, gambled on by an NFL team because they think they can develop him into something more than what he has shown on tape. And, and I just, you know, I hope for the kid, I hope he ends up being a, you know, a 10 year fantastic starting quarterback in the NFL, but I just have my concerns that he's going to uh, you know, everybody wants that next gunslinger like a Patrick Mahomes, but those guys come around once in a generation and I'm not sure uh, it's fair to expect a player with as many, 
concerns that are on tape that Drew Locke has put on film, at least over the last season and a half, um, to, to thrust him into a situation where he doesn't have that time to develop in a program that he would have if he was a second or third round pick and kind of sit on the bench until maybe year three before he's thrust into a potential competition to start. If he's a top 10 pick, you know, the, especially if it's the Denver Broncos. He's in his prime, you know, Brian. He's in Flacco, his prime. Come week five or six. Yeah, right, right. Exactly. And we all remember Tyrod Taylor was brought into Cleveland last year. They traded a third round pick for him. He was brought into Cleveland to uh, hold down the fort until Baker Mayfield was ready maybe a year from now, right? Uh, it could be that the best laid plans often go awry very quickly. And if, if a team is going to draft Drew Locke with the intention that he's not going to be starting right away, but you make him a top 10 pick, I think you're setting him up for failure. But uh, one of the, the the last quarterback we'll talk about here, which is probably the last potential quarterback who can go in the first round, is Duke's Daniel Jones. And I might be in the minority here. I think I'm I am in the minority. I like Daniel Jones quite a bit. In fact, I would draft him over Drew Locke. I, I know that that is definitely not a consensus opinion in terms of the quarterback rankings, but I think he's a much safer, uh, predictable pro than what Drew Locke will be. And I don't think that that's a boring thing or a limited ceiling thing either. I think Daniel Jones, he showed at his pro day, he's a pretty damn good athlete. Uh, and he's got a, a very solid arm. I don't understand why his arm gets as much criticism as it has. I know he's got a looping deep ball that might turn some people off. But you know, I'm going back way back now into the mid-90s when there was a quarterback of the Cincinnati Bengals named Jeff Blake who he used to throw the most towering, looping, deep balls you'll ever see in your life, but they were effective. And he would hit Carl Pickens on, you know, deep pop, deep touchdown pass after deep, deep touchdown pass, but they weren't laser throws. I mean, the, the, the ball was in the air for like, it felt like a punt that Carl Pickens was fielding. So I don't necessarily look at that as a negative if they're being dropped in the bucket and they're accurate. And I think Daniel Jones is a much more accurate passer than Drew Locke. He might not have the, you know, the laser arm that Locke has, but I like him from a physical makeup standpoint. He's a prototype quarterback. He's had very good coaching, very good quarterback coaching. He's ready to play in a pro style offense. He's a good athlete and he has at the very least an above average arm. I'm if, if I'm a team picking in the top 15, if I'm the Washington Redskins and I need a guy that I think is a safe high upside potential starting quarterback who can be kind of like an Alex Smith in the NFL. I don't think, I don't think you can go yeah, wrong with Daniel Jones. I, I like that a lot. I, I think that again, every draft pick to a certain extent is, is so dependent on the scheme and the situation, the depth chart that they end up in. I think if you're a team that, like you said, it is able to spend a bit more time, developing a quarterback than throwing them into the fire right away. Uh, I can definitely see where if your system fits it and, and calls for the skill set that Daniel Jones has, again, the athleticism that he brings to the table that Drew Locke um, really doesn't have, um, he could definitely make more sense there. If, you, if you're looking for a guy, like you said, Alex Smith is a great comp for him because I think Alex Smith doesn't get enough credit for his athleticism, especially earlier in his career. Um, but, you know, running that spread off offense at Utah, um, I think there's a lot of a lot of things about the system uh, that Daniel Jones ran with uh, with Cutcliffe at Duke uh, that that it's going to make him uh, put him ahead of the ahead of a lot of quarterbacks on this board. And Drew Locke could be one of them uh, because of that experience, because of that athleticism. 
Um, that makes a lot of sense to me. Again, I, I do fully expect those four guys to go in the first round. Wouldn't shock me at all if they all go in the top 15. Um, it's just going to come down to which of those teams think they can get that guy this year, whether they need to wait next year, and they, if they have enough of a veteran presence to get them through. They want, you want to win enough games to keep the fans engaged, but you don't want to lose too many that you lose out on, on the next tier of quarterbacks if, you're, if you are going to punt on this class. So a lot, a lot of moving parts. And I think that's that's going to be one of the really, really interesting storylines to to monitor this year is that we could see a bunch of teams that on paper need quarterbacks decide that they're better off waiting until the 2020 NFL draft when there are some projected, again, these projections can change in the span of a month of college football, but there are some pretty, pretty talented quarterbacks who are projected to be coming out next year. So we could see teams like the Dolphins and the Redskins and the Giants and, you know, the list kind of goes on and on who pass on a quarterback instead of take one of these guys. And then that the classic green room quarterback slide begins again in the 2019 draft. But let's let's play a little guessing game here. You know, if we're assuming the Cardinals are going to take um, Kyler Murray with the number one pick. If you were a betting man, who would who do you think is the next team? that's going to dip into the quarterback pool. I mean, we got the Raiders at four, the Giants at six, um, you know, the Broncos are at 10, the Dolphins are at 13, Redskins are at 15, you got the Patriots way back at 32, the Chargers at the end of the first round. I mean, is there is there a team that you envision as a guarantee, lock it up, this is the next team on the board that's going to take a quarterback? You know, there the really Cardinals, isn't. And, and I think free one. agency had a lot to do with that because the Jaguars would have been the team uh, that I would feel the most confident in. And listen, if if I were running the New York Giants, I would say the Giants. But I, I really don't, you know, we talked earlier about how, you know, the gamesmanship of this um, this stretch of the offseason where general managers are kind of using subterfuge and, and putting things out there to kind of throw people off in certain ways. I don't know about you, but Dave Gettleman doesn't take me as that kind of guy. Um, he takes me as, you know, a very old school, straightforward guy. I think that, you know, the way they approached the draft last year and, and the results that came out of that um, proved that, that he's still kind of an old school guy in the way he evaluates and drafts and also the way about he goes about uh, discussing the draft leading up to it. So he seems extremely confident in, in Eli Manning for the time being. Um, if if he were to have his choice of, of everybody but Kyler Murray at number six, I think he I think it's a, a pick that they would have to make, in my opinion. I don't know if he agrees with that. Um, so without the Giants and the Jaguars at six and seven being in that conversation, I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't get the feeling that the Dolphins are enthused with this quarterback class. They bring in Ryan Fitzpatrick, who, uh, again, from his year down here in Tampa, um, is you know capable of winning you enough games to keep you out of the race for next year's top quarterback, if that makes sense. Um and with Washington, you bring in Case Keenum, uh, you've got Colt McCoy, you say you're going to have a, a competition there, but they, in my opinion, need something more long-term and, and with more upside and a, a higher ceiling than that. Um, but again, you know, you, if you're if you're outside the top 10, you've got to be hoping that it, whether Murray goes number one or not, that, that teams like the Giants... Uh, you know, teams like the Raiders pass on the rest of the quarterback class so that you can even get a chance to trade into that range without having to give up your entire future. You know, you don't want to have to make a Carson Wentz type of trade to go up and get one of those quarterbacks. But if one gets past 
uh, Oakland, and you start to see some of those teams in the top 10 who already have their franchise quarterbacks in place start to make their picks, that's when you got to get on the phone. You got to start calling around, seeing how, how, how long you can wait uh, before you pull the trigger. But I just don't think, I don't see another team. If we're not going to have the Giants picking a quarterback, it does. It gets to Denver at 10, Cincinnati even at 11, I think could be in that conversation. Miami at 13, Washington at 15. They're going to have to, you know, they're going to have to fall in love with somebody because I feel like they're going to have to overpay to go up and get them. I, I think the run's going to start at 10. I think the run's going to start at 10 with the Broncos and Drew Locke. And then I think you're going to see at 11. I think you're going to see the the Bengals. I think you're going to see the Bengals and, and – Look, perfect fit, right? Dwayne Haskins, an Ohio State kid, stays in the state of Ohio, goes to the Bengals. I think that would make a ton of sense for them. He can sit behind a guy like Andy Dalton for half a season, full season. I don't think Dalton's the long-term answer in Cincinnati with the new quarterback, uh, with the new head coach there. And then you got 15 at Washington. You could have Daniel Jones. You could have quarterbacks going 10, 11, 15 uh, with Drew Locke leapfrogging Haskins as the second guy because – as the reports earlier in draft season suggested, John Elway is apparently "quote unquote" smitten with Drew Lock, um, for whatever that's worth. But Luke, I appreciate your time, man. It's always fun talking draft with you. For those of you out there who may not know, Luke and I have been buddies for quite a while. I've uh, come up through the draft industry together, and it's uh, if you want to get engage in great online conversation with Luke on Twitter and social media, he's at Luke Easterling. Make sure you're checking out all of his work at the Draft Wire, thedraftwire.com, and make sure you come back as well to withthefirstpick.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Brian Perez NFL. That's Brian with a Y. And as always, draft fans, we'll be back. Maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. I can guarantee you a new show is coming soon, so make sure you subscribe on iTunes and anywhere else that you get your podcast. Throw us a review if, you, if you're happy with the show, a five-star review. And uh, make sure you subscribe. We'll be back with another show very soon on With the First Pick. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.